The policeman opened the door to the bedroom, and there, stretched out on top of a single bed, lay a man with eyes half-closed, his arms down by his sides. He was dressed in shirt, trousers, and socks, and looked for all the world as if he had decided to take a nap in the middle of the day, and never got up again. Flat on his back like that, he didn't look ninety. The older officer went over to the bed and felt for a pulse in his neck and wrist. You could hardly imagine a more polite death, was the first thought that crossed his mind. Is he dead? asked the skinny cop. Looks like it, said his partner. Birkita, unable to restrain herself any longer, tiptoed inside and peered into the bedroom where her neighbor was lying in tranquil solitude. Is he dead? I think we can be confident of that, said the older officer. The poor dear man. He must be glad to be at peace, she said, quietly. Later that day the body was transferred to the National Hospital morgue, where it was received and duly registered by the pathologist. According to procedure, the district physician had been called to the flat and pronounced the man dead at the scene. His death was not being treated as suspicious, and no police inquiry would be judged necessary unless something untoward came to light during the post-mortem. In the meantime, the flat was secured, and the door would remain sealed until the pathologist's report was available. The pathologist, whose name was Svanhildur, put off the post-mortem until later in the week. The matter wasn't urgent, and she had more than enough to do, as it was before her upcoming three-week holiday to an attractive Florida golf course. Two days later she slid the body out of the refrigeration unit and transferred it to the dissection table. A small group of medical students was there to observe the post-mortem, and she went over the examination with them point by point. She filled them in on the circumstances. The body had been found after a neighbor notified the police. Everything indicated that the man had died of natural causes. Nevertheless, she managed to engage the student's interest to the extent that one even briefly stopped listening to his iPod while she was talking. Svanhilter was working on the assumption that the cause of death was cardiac arrest, and it turned out that she was right. The man had died of a heart attack. The problem was that she couldn't see any reason for it. She examined his eyes, took a look down his throat. Aha! she murmured, and the students leaned in closer over the table. Chapter Two They hurried past the sandbagged sentry post in front of the National Theater. She tried not to make it obvious that they were together, at least not while they were walking down the busier streets. Her parents had been furious when they learnt of the relationship and demanded that she break it off immediately. Her father had actually threatened to throw her out of the house, and she knew he would be as good as his word. She had been unprepared for such a violent reaction. Yet, unwilling as she was to defy her parents, she stubbornly resisted ending the relationship. Instead, she stopped talking about him and let them think it was over, but she carried on meeting him in secret. There were few places to go if they wanted to be together. Back in late autumn, when they had first started courting, they had gone to Oskuthleaf Hill when the weather was fine, but now in the depths of winter their options were very limited. Checking into a hotel was out of the question, and so were the barracks. 
Once before they had resorted to the back of the National Theatre after nightfall. The building loomed darkly over Clairfiscata, like the huge outcrop of columnar basalt it was designed to resemble, though it was in fact no more than a hollow shell. Work had halted on the ambitious project ten years ago with the onset of the Depression, and when the British occupied Iceland in 1940, they had requisitioned it as a supply depot, a role it had retained when the Americans took over in 1941. Now it was a popular meeting place for illicit lovers. "'You're never to see that man again!' her father had roared, beside himself with rage, and for the first time in her life he would have raised his hand to her if her mother hadn't intervened. She had given him her word, only to go back on it straight away. Her lover's name was Frank. He came from Illinois, and he was always clean and neat and smelt nice, and he had beautiful white teeth, and such gentlemen.